Hi everyone, you're listening to the Spodcast. I'm Josh Veal, and I have a cold, which is great fun. Uh, joining me tonight is uh, Campster. Hello. Alex. Hello. And returning from the void, Mumbles. What's up? We don't really have that much of a set agenda for this show, you know, like usual. Um, I think we're just going to have a roundtable discussion, uh, go around the room and bring up topics that are particularly interesting. Um, Mumbles, do you want to go first? Um, Tell us what you've been doing. So I have been playing the new Danganronpa game. Uh, For those who don't know, it is a, well... It's described as a murder game where a bunch of teenagers are put in a prison and they have to murder each other to get out. And then there's a class trial. And then if you murder someone without being caught, then you go free and everyone else dies. But if you get caught, then you die and everyone else lives. And the murder game continues. And um, so the first two games had male protagonists uh and this game has a female protagonist but it's a little weird and i don't want to spoil it but if you can get if you can get past the weirdness in the first act well i guess the first trial uh it's fucking great like it is just Rama games are so fun it's like a phoenix wright game if there's a lot more murder <laughs> like somehow there's a lot more murder that is what it is. It's amazing. And it's funnier, too. B- in a different way. So the gameplay is just puzzle? Or, uh, like, the trials? So you have the investigation part. Um, so someone will die, and then you investigate the murder. Um, just like you would in Phoenix, right? Except for there's a little less conversation stuff. It's more gathering evidence. Um, and then you have the class trial. <laughs> And the class trial uh, has mini games in it, like match up all of the right letters to form the word you're thinking of, drive this car, and make sure you hit all the right answers. Uh, lots of, oh, what was, the worst one is the uh, Fruit Ninja one, where you have to, like, hit the right words with a sword <laughs> to, like, win the argument. So, like, it's not like Phoenix, right, where you really are just using your wits and, like, jumping logic it's really it's got other shit going on um but the tone is completely different like phoenix Wright is more like hey we're the underdogs we're gonna keep trying our best and duncan rumba's like everything sucks and your job is to get through this without like hating everything about the entire earth good luck with that have fun so that's that's it If you're bad at the mini games, does it turn into like, like do, do your arguments just turn into gibberish and you just start throwing out random words, or does it like turn yeah. into something silly well, like the the trial we did on in Kotor on spoiler warning? <laughs> well, they'll basically be like, oh, that's not right, and then. Then uh, Marakuma will be like, okay, everybody, time's up. Let's vote. And then everyone's going to vote for you because you're a fucking idiot and you're the worst. Everyone hates you. <laughs> and then you die. <laughs> so, like, if you suck at the minigames, basically the way that the game treats it is like, oh, well, you suck at minigames, so everyone says, get good, loser. And then you, then you die. <laughs> so... 
but it's really good. I like the thing I like about it so much is that it it creates a really pessimistic world where everything is not just sucky, but like apocalyptic sucky. And the whole point of it is to like latch on to a little piece of hope that you have that you can make things okay, even when things are really, really bad. And it's cathartic that way, I think, for me. So, yeah. Cool. I've been kind of like, Dungan Ronpa has been on my, like the periphery of my radar for a while. And I just have never gotten around to, to picking it up and playing it. Um, how, how, how visual novely is it? Like, oh, it's not. It's like I said, it really is like playing Phoenix Wright, but okay. like more involved. And also, um, so the first and third game, you can run around in their 3D world, basically. Oh, in the okay. second so... game, it's all 2D. So, but you can still like go explore things. Um, it's not anything like Psychopaths, for example, which is just basically a visual novel anime. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just all, I mean, there's not really anything to do. This has a lot of things to do. And it also has um, a companion kind of thing to it where you can collect little items to give as gifts to people. And then you can kind of like hear their background and their story and stuff. So that's oh, kind of cool. Oh man, can't be a Japanese game without one of those. <laughs> yeah. So is it, long because i everyone was really pushing to yes. for me to play persona 5 and i couldn't get into that because oh god that game takes forever it's so long yeah oh. um actually you know it's it's funny because persona 5 is actually the first persona game i've finished all the way through because like my thing that whenever i've played every persona game but I always reached a point where I was like, oh, well, the game's over, right? And the game's like, fuck you, it's not over. Yeah. Are you kidding? You have 10 more levels to go. And at least with Persona 5, it was like, I know we're not at the end because we didn't get that fucker yet. And we're going to get him and it's going to be great. And so, like, Persona 5 paces it a lot better than the other ones. So Danganronpa is very long, but you can kind of enjoy it in chunks, so if you want to play, like, one chapter, it's probably, like, maybe two to three hours. And then you can just leave it alone for a week or so and then just go back and play the next chapter. Because each chapter kind of has its own thing going on. Whereas, like, Persona 5 does have chapters in kind of the same way, but you need to remember all of the shit that you've been doing, basically. So it doesn't... It, it leans itself to more, like, I'm going to play this over six months kind of thing. So... Yeah. Yeah, I I think the closest I've gotten to finishing a Persona game was Persona 3 and when I stopped playing that I was still nowhere near the end. Yeah. Uh I think I was nowhere near the end. You know, that's the thing with Persona games is it's often really difficult to tell like like you said like is this the last dungeon or is it just gonna, is something else gonna happen and it's gonna keep dragging on? It's the kind of Final right. Fantasy thing of like, oh, I'm going up against the last boss, but is this the, the actual last boss or not? Yeah, at least Persona 5 explicitly. Persona 5 is really great because they totally get rid of that. Like, it tells you immediately who the bad guy is. And so you're like, I am playing this game until we beat the shit out of that guy and he's the final boss. So. You know, 
and you're like, well, we haven't beat him yet, so it's clearly not over yet, and then it's yeah. all good. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, what about you, Alex? What have you been up to? Um. I've been doing a lot of Warframe as usual. Uh, I did a charity stream. Well, participated in a charity stream a few days ago. Uh, that all the Warframe partners were invited to, and we're doing a hundred-hour stream for breast cancer charity. So that's actually still going on, but probably by the time this is up, it won't be. But it happened, and I'm sure we raised our goal. Um, <laughs> well, that's really but, cool. But that's, it's really fun, and it was actually really scary because um, they had very specific requirements because uh, we went through streamers in a two-hour block, so there were streamers going through crazily, and they wanted to be on time. And so they like have these settings, everything's ready to go, and then... For some reason, um, my regular channel's follower alert was popping up when people were following me, even though I was streaming on a completely different channel with, like, completely huh. different resources. So, like, there were, like, five different technical difficulties, like, and I just, like, felt so bad. And then so I was like, oh, I'll just bring Biscuit on the screen for a bit, and maybe people will forget about the technical difficulties. <laughs> and I think it worked. <laughs> But it was really, you really think that those kind of gaming charity things are um, so simple. It's like, oh, it's just people streaming. But, like, the actual planning and organizing is actually so intense. And getting everyone coordinated is, it's just a whole thing. I mean, fuck, it's hard to get five people's schedules to line up for this show. Uh, I can't imagine trying to do, like, a hundred streamers or something like that. Our guess with two-hour blocks, this would have been 50. Yeah, and but some people doubled up as well, or some people did their like yeah. regular like Warframe talk show and had it on that channel. So it was like, yeah, definitely more than 50. Well, that's really cool. Um, is there anything else you've been up to? I've been playing a lot of Ruiner, which I'm really enjoying. And I haven't heard a lot of other people talk about the game, at least critically or anything. Nothing's really popped up that I've seen, uh, but I really like it. So does it have like a proper narrative? Because all I know about it is is what I've seen through screenshots. Uh, there is. It's very simple in that you kind of show up and you you're looking for your brother, and there's he's been taken, and you run into this like manic pixie dream girl style like person giving you the directions and. Um, you actually learn a lot about, like, the characters in the world. Not so much, like, your own story is kind of just, like, basic narrative, but there's, like, an overworld, sort of, where you can talk to people and have side quests. Um, so, like, when people describe it as, like, Hotline Miami with Cyberpunk, they kind of miss the fact that it also has this, like, very in-depth, like, overworld and narrative and characters, and, like, the art is just gorgeous, and detailed and you can just tell by looking at a character like maybe what their story was or it's it's really well done so this is the um for context the cyberpunk top-down shooter thing with the guy that has text on his face <laughs> it's not a watchdog sequel <laughs> So are you the titular ruiner? Um, I don't remember. Or is that a spoiler? I feel like, 
Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know if your character is named, but I mean, he could be. The real ruiners, the corporations. Well, it's cyberpunk, so of course. That's right. One cool thing about the game is that there's um, basically how corporations steal data or, like, gather information is they bring out what's called CATS, which is an acronym, but it's also just, like, a literal cat-looking thing. And if you hack it, it kind of buzzes because you can, like, hack them to do a a side quest. And so it was weird because I was walking through the town and before I knew this I'm like oh there's just all these like cats everywhere but like you find out after they were actually like spying the whole time and they're all robots so that was like a really cool thing like the keepers are are there ostensibly still um actual cats in this universe or are all cats robots it's hard to say and and if all cats are robots why isn't this game named robo cats <laughs> Well, there's potential in the sequel. I've been craving um, some new cyberpunk stuff for a while, but I'm not sure big action shooter game is quite what I'm looking for. Like, what is the balance of, like, gameplay sequence to story sequence? Because I'm looking at the screenshots, and there are, like, like, dialogue sequences and stuff with people of some kind there's um depending on how much time you spend there's a fair bit of spacing between fighting and talking or whatever like it's not like you just go from fight scene to fight scene or anything like, like, like it's not like hotline scene. miami's like this is all gameplay and then you've got this little bit of um story stuff holding it together yeah, there's definitely more space in between. It's still mostly action. Like, you still have yeah. to mostly just go from room to room and kill people. But um, you can decide, like, when you want to go on to the next level. Like, you just leave the area, the hub. Right. and But you can spend a fair amount of time in the hub. And what's cool is that after every mission, um, the character scene change, like, the scene in the overworld changes. So you don't have, like, the same guy standing in the same place. Like, through the sequence of the first three levels I did, there was a couple, and they were, like, hitting on each other, and then in the second time I came back, they were fighting. So it was a completely different story that you could just, like, look in on, and then in the next scene, they were gone. So I'm like, oh my god, what happened? So, so it's little details like almost that. like a Dark Souls-esque kind of overworld hub where... You have these characters hanging citadel. out in the hub, it's and, a, and... It's, it's just the citadel. It's just the citadel, is what it sounds like <laughs> to me. Yeah, it sounds exactly like the citadel, except for maybe cool. Because in Mass Effect Three, they did the same thing where you like listen to a sorry, be like, "Oh, I killed a child," and then the next like <laughs> conversation is like, "Uh, but let's forget about it because I'm taking medication," and then that's that's that. And you're like, "Oh, yeah. learn that yeah. fun story." <laughs> It is like that, yeah. I just, I don't know, I just didn't expect such detail from, like, a small game, you know? Yeah, I know, that's rad. 
That's, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, it's one thing to make an indie game with a fun concept, and it's another thing to make a fun indie game with a cool concept and also lots of detail in their world. Like, yeah. that that third thing is always asking too much, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. indie games, and so when they deliver, it's like, fuck yes. Meanwhile, in Dark Souls, there's the guy who you rescue from prison. He's like, oh, I'm an evil murderer. And then you come back and he's killed the firekeeper and the fire don't work no more. Um, so that's that's maybe not as cool. <laughs> Although then you go and chase no him Dark down. Souls. And no, no, no. No, I had a no Dark Souls clause in me coming back on this show. So I don't know like how much <laughs> of a fine you're going to have to pay or what's going on here. Oh, damn it. Now we have to do more Mystic Messenger. Yes. The new route. route. I actually actually couldn't finish it. Did I tell you about this? I couldn't finish it. I tried. Really? They released the V route route. and you couldn't finish it. No, I got to day like 10, but my heart was already gone like day 5. So (laughs) they released a new route with this guy named V. Uh, I'm sure most people are not familiar, but he is the boyfriend of the girl who died whose apartment you're living in in most of the scenarios and so people are like i want to romance him (laughs) his dead girlfriend he's got stuff going on that's hot and so um i was like i'm interested because this has like story stuff because you want to learn about like why did rika die question mark Or is she dead? And then you want to know why V is going blind. You want to know what's all going on. So I was like, I'm going to play this route for educational purposes. And then I got to day 10, and there's an entire scene where 707's like, ah, I'm sad because the main character don't like me. I would have been so good to her. No. And I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Fuck you, Mystic Messenger. (laughs) And I like immediately deleted the save. They know exactly that he's the best character. Yeah, they're they're looking at you and they're going, oh, oh, so what you want to do is not Romance 707? Well, okay. Here you go. This is what you wanted. Literally. I have tried to romance other people in that game, and I can never fucking pull the trigger. Like, I even tried to do the the Jahi? 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 Anyway, I tried to do her route. If, no, I couldn't. Because I just I mean, couldn't. I just 707. so a route, right? I, yeah, but, like, it was... Oh, the reason why I couldn't do hers is because towards the end she gets real weird about Zen. Like, real yeah. weird. Like, because she's already a fangirl of his, and basically the idea is that she thinks that he should never have a girlfriend, should always work to be the oh. best star ever, and so if you ever do the the zen route, she's like, you better not be fucking him because you're going to ruin his career. And then if you do her route, she's like, man, he's so cool and great and hot. And I like looking at his pictures all the time. And you're like, all right, no. And then um, I try to do the Juman route and Juman gets real shades of gray. (laughs) So I was like, nope, (laughs) just deleted it. So I've only been (laughs) able to finish 707s. See, the strategy is you have to do the character you're interested in the least first. I know, but you know what's so That's funny? That's exactly is when what I, I did started... with Mystic Messenger. 
when I first started playing it, I didn't understand. There's so there's two different routes. There's the original route and then the deep story route, and I didn't understand. So I clicked on the original route, and I was like, I want to, I want to bang seven oh seven. Let's do this. And so I kept. I I think I did like four times. I got like the bad ending because I didn't pick the three characters that you're supposed to pick in the original story. And then uh, I realized what was going on. So then I bought the original one. I was like, time to get in with 707. So I just, yeah. I did not play that game right. <laughs> not once. <laughs> Sorry. That was a transgression. That was. I mean, time. I brought it up. I, I don't, I don't know current. how much you can be responsible for this. People need to know. People got to know. And if you want to at me on Twitter, nice move mumbles about how the V route ends, please do. Cause I have no idea and I can't find any information on the Reddit and Tumblr is a fucking wasteland. So please, <laughs> anyone help me. <laughs> no, nobody has finished the V route. No one can stand letting 707 down. Oh, well, and I but have no interest in V like he was a crazy yeah. person with teal hair. The teal is a big turnoff. Really? That's what does it for you? Not well, the crazy and the whole, part? Well, the psycho part, <laughs> but secondary. Like, the first impressions is the hair color. And the hairstyle. Oh, man. I, see, I thought that was fine, but he has, like, a very... I know that it's an animation, but he has a very, like, blank face compared to the other guys. Like, all the other guys are really expressive. Even Jumin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but V is very boring. And so if you try and eat, well, and the route is really like weird too, because it not only introduces V as a romance, but it hints that you're going to get two other romances later, which is of course Seven's brother and Rika. So it's like, if you are playing it and you're like, wow, these two other characters are way more interesting than V, then you're going to fail the route. So I think that's interesting. So... (laughs) There, uh, another possible option here that I guess isn't actually in the game yet or ever is to romance the ghost and or just hiding dead person whose apartment you stole and phone you stole yes. and you're living in now. She gets how how far did you get, Alex? Because I don't want to. Oh, I've done it. the whole thing. Okay, well, she gets real into you towards the end. And so it kind of implies, and people have been asking for, like, a lesbian thing from them because their company has been doing romance stuff for a while, romance games, but I don't know if they've ever done lesbian stuff. And so people are like, why not? I mean, come on. And they're like, well, maybe we will. Check out the, check out Rika. She's crazy and she's into you. And you're like, maybe, maybe, maybe (laughs) that sounds fun. (laughs) But I I think, I think what I misunderstood just now was that you can't romance all three of them at the same time and have like weird cult orgy. No, you'll fail. Okay. I didn't think that was something that would ever be in this game. But, but they were teasing it because in the first like four days of it, it was heavily implied that you could romance Seven's brother. 
And then in the last, like, five days, it was heavily implied that you could romance Rika. Like, the main character even has responses like, I wish Rika was here. She's great. <laughs> what do you think about that? And so it made me think that they're working on the routes for those two. So, yeah. I'd be very, like, I'm cautiously curious about what they would actually do with a Rika romance. Well, okay, so the the devs for Mystic Mist... I gotta stop. I have to stop talking about this. <laughs> I, the, okay, look, this is we the came last in bit. here with a bunch of, like, <laughs> I'm not very interested in talking about anything this week, so... Uh... Fuck. Okay. <laughs> so, the, the developers of Mystic here. Messenger... Like I said, really love, have made a bunch of romance games, and all of them are extremely fucked up. Every single one of them. Go on fucking Steam and check them out, like Dandelion. All of them are really fucked up, and all of them have real fucked up stuff happen. So if they're going to have Psycho Cult Leader in love with you, if if there's one romance game-making company that can do it, it's them. They're the ones, so I'm not too wow. worried about it. That was so yeah. passionate. <laughs> it's going to be Charrots. They'll do it's it. It's going to be them. I know. I got to stop. Let's talk about something else. We've hit the maximum mumbles excitement level for like the next two months. <laughs> oh, no. So. You wish. This is like when I was... So last week we went to um, wine and painting class. and <laughs> Wine we shared and painting class you drink wine and then you paint but the Hmm. problem with me is that i am a fun drunk i like to say and so i had like a half bottle of wine and i was just like "Ooh, i know right it wasn't even that much alcohol anyway so i'm like just you know having fun making my balloon black like my soul just stuff like that and the teacher's like, well, you know, you're getting a little rowdy. I'm like, you haven't seen rowdy. I still have my shirt on. And then <laughs> they did not appreciate that. <laughs> They're not a fan. Like, That's amazing. I, what the fuck were they expecting? I know. You get a well, bunch of drunk people in so... a room painting. Like, everyone That's besides like something me a stripper Nick, says. We're so chill. Like they were, everyone else was taking it so seriously and so just like laid back, not having fun. Also, they were like blasting like mom music. Like, oh my God. uh, You know, like Pink. Like Pink's greatest hits. (laughs) Yeah. And like, um,. For a while you know, there, I thought this was going to be like 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 winos doing painting, uh, but I wish it, it sounds more <laughs> like it's like like soccer moms, yes. coping with oh, life totally. by by drinking That's exactly red Just wine blasting, and painting and <laughs> blasting fucking Billy Joel while you're like downing a <laughs> bottle of wine and fucking painting a hot air balloon. Also, so we were painting the hot air balloon, and the teacher's like, well, I've never been in a hot air balloon, but I'm like, I've been in one, suck it! And then she did not like that. She did not, but I yelled, suck it. (laughs) 
I I don't know how I survived through high school, but I feel like their their advertising should be amended. It sounds like like you and I had the same thought about what this was going to be when you were going into yes. it, and then it turned out to be something totally different. Well, and she was telling me how like they have Harry Potter nights where you like draw your Patronus or something. I was like, oh my mine God. would be a trash <laughs> raccoon, and she did not like that. And then I was like. <laughs> I was like, okay, so like Harry Potter fans, right? And she's like, they take it very seriously. They know all the trivia on trivia time. And I was like, oh, I couldn't hang with Harry Potter fans. I'd be such a tool. I'd be the That's, worst. It sounds like she said it like you were a kindergarten child. Like, yes, this is trivia time and they know everything. And you're going to be in it's the corner tr- where you know nothing. You can't say shit. No, I. it was really bad. And, like, it was fun, though, because I could see myself, like, slowly getting under her skin. And then at one point, one of the balloons she drew was, like, it looked like the basket was about to fly away. And I was like, yo, I think your hot air balloon is suffering some turbulence, bro. And she fucking hated that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> she, like, went back and, like, changed it, too. She was like, oh, well, I need to change the basket now. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Uh, was she just, like... Was she just kind of, like, sitting there and taking it and, like, seething quietly? Or was she trading well, insults okay, with Okay, so you? she... No, she was, like, my age. But unfortunately for her, she was, like, kind of a quiet, artsy, polite nerd. Uh-huh. And I, unfortunately, tend to be a little over... I'm an overbearing nerd. And so, like, it was water and oil, basically. Like, she could, she didn't have any comebacks because she's never had to, like, verbally spar with someone. Because she's just a nice little nerdy girl. And so I felt bad afterwards, but it was fun while I was doing it. So that's my defense for that. Ah, that is so wacky. Yeah. (laughs) Why were you guys painting hot air balloons of all things? Well, it was couples night and you both draw a hot air balloon and then you write love between the two pictures Oh, no. Obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we got in trouble because we kept switching between the two different paintings. And so I wanted a mustard yellow <laughs> for the sunset. And Nick thought he wanted a more daffodil colored. So it became an issue. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Mumbles is taking out the man from the inside. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which man, or maybe it's a woman, but I don't know. Anyhow, sorry. I. How do we even get here? Who are we on? What? Uh, I like the we were on Alex derailer. talking about ruiner. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's I, my turn's I over. I ruined that conversation. It's, I want to talk about Blade Runner Mumbles. when you all have seen it. Mumbles was but... the ruiner. Oh, <laughs> she's in the game. Wait, Mumbles is in, the really? in the game. <laughs> is that like a copyright true. thing or is he like, like, like doing doing Fuck video games money. on the side <laughs> I wish oh, no I mean in Ruiner she's a main character yeah I'm the Ruiner it's yeah. me this whole time I've been ruining all kinds of shit <laughs> I wasn't making it's a reference to EA Mumbles <laughs> is it the game 
<laughs> the pyro got a new face mask. It's just my dumb face. <laughs> That's all it is. Um, Chris, yes, tell sir. us something interesting. Um, I don't really have anything specific interesting. I've been playing through Cuphead. Um, I've been surprisingly enjoying that after bouncing off the game initially. I really didn't like it at first, um, but I've grown to really, really like it. Why? The first thing I did was one of the run and gun sections, and I don't super enjoy those. I don't think they work as well as the boss fights, but I think the boss fights work really, really well. Yeah. Well, originally when it was developed, it was only a boss fighter, and they added that stuff in later, so I wonder if that's, you know, part of it. Like, it wasn't necessarily part of their original design, you know, but they felt like they needed to have it. Right, and and it gives some variety, I guess, to what's going on. But I didn't realize at the time that that was not the majority of the game. So I I played like yeah. the first level, and I'm like, uh, I'm not really feeling like what if Contra, but just obnoxiously hard. But then I I came back and played some of the boss fights, and I was like, wow, these are actually really, really, really fun and well designed, and and yeah. super challenging, but in a fun way to learn. And I I really enjoyed them a lot. I really love the music in that game. I was telling because I bought it for Nick because I can't play those kind of games because I suck. And so I was sitting and watch him play, and the music in that game, they find the right songs for each boss battle. So, like, um, for the kind of aquatic bosses, you have, like, kind of like a ocean kind of feeling to the songs, um, but it also matches the way that the bosses fight. So there's this one boss that's a sunflower, and the song is really kind of frantic, and he has a lot of, like, moves that are a little random, the things that he does. Um, and I thought that was cool. So they they worked really hard on not just the art, but also the music um, and how it incorporates into the game. So, Yeah, it's clear they studied old school cartoons really closely to get a lot of this stuff yeah. correct. And it, it really, really does feel like, not walking into, because it's not really like a 3D immersive thing, but it really is like watching a cartoon that you're interacting with. Um, yes. and, and I guess what impresses me about that the most is like, I, I would love to see more about, I, they've released a couple shorts about how they actually animated it, which is really cool to see because you see that they actually did sell animation, um, on paper and, uh, with like a backlight for, for sketching it out and then, uh, inking on top of that. But then they would scan it in and do all the coloring in, um, Photoshop. Um, and it was cool to see that part of the process, but I'm really curious about how they actually did prototyping. Because the amount of effort to change how some of these boss fights operate would be enormous when you're doing hand-cell-based animation. So I'm really curious what sort of, like, prototyping tools they used. Because the game really, really does have this very delicate, fine sense of balance and and difficulty um, that is difficult at first. But as you learn each boss's moves, you they become almost trivial to master once you know what you're doing. And I, I really, really dug that. But I really don't know how they could have, like... They had to have prototyped this stuff out, and I'd, I'd be curious to see what some of that stuff looks like. So it's a matter of, like, the boss fights are very animation-oriented, like the boss's animations dictate the, the boss fight, and so if you had to adjust those animations and change the graphics, uh, it, you'd have to basically throw out the entire animation and redo it? Is that basically the... Yeah, because, like... There's there's one or two boss fight bits that have just projectiles flying at you, and then they can change that up programmatically, whatever. Right. But, like, everything else is the boss does something from a cartoon to attack you. Um, and it, it 
I, everything from, you know, um, I'm just trying to think like growing arms or moving fast or, or, um, um, just, just various different things that, that, that I imagine would be really hard to animate over if you had to do it again. Um, and right. so you really want to make sure you're only animating one time. So they had to prototype all this crap out with placeholder art to make it work and make it feel right. Um, and I, my point is, I guess, just that like the show, the game doesn't just show a, a tremendous knowledge of, um, old school 20s, 30s, and 40s cartoons, but also tremendous knowledge of um, the, the genre they're working in because they knew exactly what they were building. And it would have been very easy for this to be animation-driven in a way that's bad, in a way that it mm-hmm. feels wrong, where like you push a button and yeah. watch us play the animation for Cuphead. And it's not like that at all. It feels really right. It feels really tightly tight to control um, while still looking as good as it does. And that takes effort. Yeah, I, the game is just like super cool as, as a thing that exists, but I don't really know if I have it in me to to play it, like to play a hard, uh, you know, a really hard, um, well, old here's school side scrolling platformer. And but it's not like first of all, it's it's not really a platformer. There, there's there's the bulk of the game is just boss fights. Like you load the level in and you're fighting the boss and then you fight the boss. And every time you, that's not, that's not totally fair. I mean, even in the boss fights, there's some like pretty tricky platforming skills that you need to have in order to survive. Otherwise you're fucked. Right. But it's more the boss fights from Contra than the levels from Contra. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's and... not like Super Meat Boy difficulty, is it? Like, where would you place no. it? No, that's that's what I, that's the comparison I was actually going to say. Is this is the end? Having played through not all of, but most of, this is the end, or the end is nigh. That's what I'm looking for. The end is nigh. Um, having played through most of that, the end of, is nigh is way more actually actively difficult and mean and and punishing. Um, this is not anywhere near that hard. Um, this is just with a little bit of persistence, you will be able to get through it. You just need to know, yeah. you just need to learn the patterns. Um, I mean, at this point it's rote okay. to refer to Dark Souls for that kind of crap, but it, it is kind of like Dark Souls. Um, once you know the patterns, it's pretty easy to avoid them. It's not a bullet hell game. But, it's not like, uh, oh, go ahead. I don't Campster has to play the but you have to, attacks. But you have to like those kind <laughs> of games, I feel like, because I think a lot of like the history of those kind of like, 2d shooter contra kind of games is built into this game into cuphead and i feel like if you already like those games you're gonna like cuphead even more because i mean like for me i mean i would play just because i like the aesthetics and i like aesthetics and i also like the ideas behind it but to see nick play it who loves those kind of games is like a totally different experience for him like i think he enjoys it more than if i would have enjoyed it if that makes sense um, I also don't know if I want to bring this up because I'm kind of trying to do a Halloween episode on it, but I finally did play Stories Untold. Oh, cool. Oh, did nice. you finish it? Yes, I have finished it, but we shouldn't spoil anything here. Oh, man. Um, there, there's like, it. there's questions I have about, um, the twist, not the twist at the end, but the twist in the third episode that I'd love to ask, like, um, 
Uh, it's really hard to talk about that, though, without going into spoilers. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe at some point we'll have a spoiler, this... a special spoiler discussion of it. So, is this just The House Abandoned, or is it... No, it's... Like it's a... no. The House Abandoned is the first of four episodes. It, it presents okay. itself as... I played as... that one. It presents itself as an anthology of four short stories, um, each kind of with yeah. a similar theme of you are sitting at a desk interacting with a piece of technology, and that's that's sort of it. And oh. the first game is you are playing a text adventure. The second little story is you are somewhere in a science lab, somewhere being directed by an off-screen man to perform operations on something inside a very large metal box that you don't know what it is, but um, you can infer. Um, and I won't give away anything more than that. And the third story is sort of like The Thing, um, where you are basically scanning microfilm for a, uh, for, for information on how to decode radio messages, uh, as they the come across while is, listening. Like, we probably shouldn't talk about the fourth one because that's a, yeah, the fourth one thing. The fourth one is a little bit different than all the others. Yeah. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Um, but, but they're all basically like, um, text adventure yeah adjacent no, like i kind said of activities because i had played house abandoned i didn't know yeah. that they came out with more i guess yeah that that was like the demo for the game and then um you know when it when it came out fully it had that and then three other ones um and like that house abandoned is the most vanilla text adventure of all of them but they all kind of have like text adventure elements um to them um, but but they also kind of make use of the the 3D environment in various ways. Like like with the the one where you're the second episode where you're messing around with stuff in a box where you gotta like flip switches and stuff like that. Um, I I think my favorite thing about it, as far as spooky things go, is that well, not my favorite thing about it, but it it manages to more or less entirely avoid jump scares. Um, there's one or two like quick things like lights might flicker or whatever, but at no point does like a monster jump out in your face and scream like that doesn't happen through the yeah. entire game. Um, and yet it's still a pretty scary but game on the whole. And I really dig that. There's still, there, there are jump scares though. I mean, from the one chapter that I played, like they were really good at like turning the lights off at the right time, having a noise at the right time. So, I mean, yeah, that's all it's... a jump scare is anyway. It... Yeah, it, it's not like monstery jump scare. It's not Outlast or anything right. like that. Um, yeah, I. The sounds again, really good getting... too. Like, the, there's like the alerts and the beeps. Yeah, and not getting too far into spoilers, but I, I thought the uh, like looking back on it after having played all four episodes, the the story, like the meta narrative, kind of sucked. And and the revelation of what that was about really kind of fell flat to me. But um, again, I don't want to get into to what that actually is because it's pretty much impossible to talk about without giving away the entire thrust of the game. Um, oh, I also played Heat Signature a little bit. Uh, not so much this week, but the week previous. Um, so Heat Signature is pretty cool. That game looks kind of interesting. Another Hotline Miami-esque looking thing. Yes, kind of, but no. Um, basically, you are... In some ways, it's closer to like a Rogue Spear 
ish game. Not Rogue Spear. That's a Tom Clancy game. What am I thinking? Of? Yeah, I don't. I don't even. What the fuck even is Rogue Spear? Rogue Legacy. There we go. Ah, Rogue Spear was a Tom Clancy Rainbow Six uh, expansion. Rogue Legacy is what I was looking for. Um, in that, basically, you get a to choose from one of four procedurally generated um, uh, activists fighting the evil organizations that are tearing the galaxy apart, and you do that until that procedurally generated character um, is either um, re- either retires or is captured by the bad guys or is murdered. Um, if they are captured by the bad guys, one interesting thing that this game does is you will see, uh, ships flying around the universe, uh, while you're flying around and you will have the opportunity to try to save your former captives or even captives of your friends on steam. And I have had numerous people reach out to me on, on Twitter and say that they had tried to save, um, the character I had that had the most hippie name possible. And I'm trying to find it right now. Um, it was like moon sunset or something. And so I basically came up with this backstory where she had like hippie parents and hated them and, and flew off to space to become like a space pirate. And then she got captured by the evil corporation and multiple people have, uh, told me that it is their personal mission in the game to go and save, save her. Um, (laughs) that's pretty cool. Um, and the procedural combat is interesting insofar as it's not so much action so much as tactics, but one person tactics. Um, and it focuses on sort of emergent play stuff and, and that kind of thing. Um, so you get like, there's a lot of interesting kinds of teleporters that will like teleport you into a room, but then will tell you, teleport you back to where you just were. So you're only in that room for like three seconds before getting teleported out, which sounds useless, but it's really useful if your only goal is getting into that room to press a button to open all the doors on the ship or getting into that room to kill the guy, steal his key card, and then go back to where you were without having to cross a hallway full of, you know, 30 guards or whatever. So there's like interesting things the game sets up to do tactically, um, using teleporters and using, uh, throwing mines to ricochet off things and that sort of thing. Um, what else does it do? Um, you get to slow down time. There's a shield that lets you reflect bullets. So one of your tactics can literally be walking into a room full of guys, having them see you activating your shield and having them all shoot themselves. Um, but the shield's only up for like three seconds. So you have to be careful with that. It, it's got some really cool, interesting mechanics. And, and I, it, it kind of sounds a bit like one person Monaco. A little bit. Yeah. It's basically every, every mission you get is go on, go infiltrate somebody else's spaceship and stealthfully try to take over the spaceship or steal a thing from the spaceship or kill this one specific target on the spaceship. Um, and get out as quietly as you can. But if you have to yeah. get dirty, you can get dirty and it, you, unless you're doing a mission for a group that says you can't kill anybody. Um, so it's, it's basically like one person Monaco. That's one person Monaco meets Rogue Legacy is basically what I would phrase it as. But it's, I enjoy it. In space. That's um, all I got. I guess it's time for me to talk about what I've been doing, uh, which is not a whole lot. Um, kind of took most of this week off. Uh, I've been playing a, bunch of XCOM 2 War of the Chosen, the great big expansion pack, um, which does a lot to fix XCOM 2. I don't know if you've played it, Chris. I don't think Mumbles has played it. I have. Alex, you've played uh, XCOM 2 at all or any of the new XCOM stuff. Um, Best enemy unknown. 
There were a couple big problems. Uh, I play it. Mario Rabbids, so <laughs> I I almost got that game instead of uh, instead of the expansion. Um, it's fucking I, great. I do you intend should have. To, yeah, I do <laughs> intend to pick it up. Um, so there there were like a number of ma- like big problems that XCOM Two had, um, and I was planning on talking to the about this with Rutskarn because he was going to be here today, but um, he literally called off at the last minute so he could clean his apartment so oh no i'm starting to think that was just an excuse like he's like oh shit mumbles is gonna be here uh 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 i'm cleaning my room i have to clean my room i cannot be there i think that's what happened that's probably what it was what's the old cartoon 1950s excuse I'm, i'm drying my hair or whatever yeah uh, anyway, uh, he and I both kind of hated XCOM 2 Vanilla um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them is the like the the default strategy in Enemy Unknown is to very slowly creep along uh, in, in any kind of mission and very cautiously just sort of like move Overwatch, move Overwatch, move Overwatch, because uh, you know the second you trigger a pod of enemy units, um, they immediately all get a free move. Um, and that was kind of like a really effective strategy, but it, it, I guess like made the gameplay very samey and kind of boring. So their solution in XCOM 2 was let's put a bunch of fucking timers in every mission. Uh, so if you don't finish the mission before the timer runs out, all your soldiers are captured. Um, and like 80% of the missions in vanilla XCOM 2 were, were some variation of that. And sometimes the timers were just super fucking terrible like you'd have eight turns to get across a map grab a vip and get to a uh um and get to the extraction point uh and it would take you like four turns full sprint to just get to the vip uh and you're not going to be doing full t- four turns full sprint because there's like three groups of enemies and the, the the mission was basically impossible um and 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 ridiculous stuff like that uh that is gone in war of the chosen there are there are still the very occasional uh timed missions but the vast majority of them are uh like even when they are timed missions the timers are much longer uh and they're they're they seem much better balanced but the vast majority of the missions do not have timers at all um they have other interesting mechanics to to show up um one of the other big cool things they did was they added um a lot of like there's a ton of new shit in this expansion it's kind of hard to even like know where to start but um so you the other problem with XCOM 2 is that it just kind of felt like you were XCOM 1 but you you had a ship um like it didn't feel like you were really the leader of a resistance movement or anything you were just basically doing XCOM 1 stuff all the time um XCOM 2 adds a lot, like, adds these three new resistance factions that, um, will, um, you'll go and help out on missions, and, uh, you have this new thing where you send people out on, um, 
covert missions and stuff. And they're like, that's been in XCOM before to an extent, but, um, it's massively, uh, expanded now where like you could be constantly sending people out on uncovert missions to, um, you know, disrupt, uh, the progress on the avatar project, which is still that big overarching thing that it's the countdown timer that if it fills up the game ends, um, and, uh, or, you know, uh, like go get supplies or get a weapon upgrade or get this soldier a promotion or, um, make these soldiers work better with one another or go find this captured soldier so we can get a mission to go Wait. get them. Wait, it's a covert op or a operation to get two soldiers to be better friends. That sounds adorable. Yeah, there's there's actually a, a friendship system now in uh in this game where soldiers can have um they're called bond mates um Aww. uh where I I don't know if it's supposed to be read as they hook up or they just are friends, but um they like these two soldiers work better together on you know they get they get abilities that like allow them to give their bond mate an extra turn or something like that um and and you know dual attacks that are free for the bond mate that's not initiating it um so that's kind of a cool interesting um flavor thing there's a ton of interesting flavor stuff there's there's a whole like Make your pro, make your own propaganda posters after every mission. Like you get the option to take a mission photo and it does like this, like World War II propaganda poster of your soldiers posing on the, the map. Um, and, and like some cheesy fucking line about like how like we're taking the fight to advent. I mean, literally stuff like that. Um, uh, and, and it, you can just save all those and they'll show up as like little posters and various places, uh, like in maps or, um, on the ship. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, another cool thing is the, the, the three new factions are literally like all the major characters in the new factions are voiced by someone from Star Trek, the next generation. You, you actually, you have Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis. John DeLancey, um, Michael Dorn, and uh, Denise Crosby. Uh, like literally, all five of them are in the game, voicing people from these these new factions that that help you out, uh, and that's weird. Um, like some of them are very subtle. It took me a while to realize who Jonathan Frakes was voicing, uh, and then others are like. Michael Dorn is literally playing Worf, uh, and he's a soldier you can recruit, and he's literally Worf. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so that was really cool. And then the other big thing they added, not done, uh, is the the there's now you're like three big nemesis bad guy people. Um, you got your own rogues gallery now. Um, of these like three super soldiers that the, uh, the aliens, um, basically bred from humans, basically like gave spe like these three particular humans, like super genetic conditioning, um, and made them into super soldiers who can't die normally. Um, and they'll show up sometimes in a mission and like, all the timers will pause and it'll turn into this great big arena fight of like your squad versus this super enemy super soldier. 
Um, and they like have all these taunts and stuff. Um, they're, they're constantly calling you on the radio and, and, and making fun of you actually like, th- like the, you know how in enemy unknown, uh, you know, you just have like characters talking occasionally. Well, now the enemy nemesis characters will also talk at you occasionally and talk about how much you suck. Um, and that kind of like changes the whole focus of the game because it becomes much more about like, like these guys are constantly trying to work on, um, uh, like, like they're, they're constantly gathering information about you. And if they gather enough information about you, they can actually attack your ship. And, uh, if they win that battle, then the game's over. Um, and they initiate their own like events to sabotage your stuff, uh, you know, reduce your income, make it so it takes longer to scan stuff on the map and stuff like that. So you're kind of like the the big like mid part of the game is just fighting these guys and like the the original frankly very boring story of XCOM 2 just kind of like falls off to the wayside and it becomes you versus these three assholes um and you eventually like have to like through covert missions um build up enough intel to go and attack their actual base and kill their actual body basically um uh, and that's all really cool. Uh, and, that, and that gives the game a lot more character than it, than it had before. In addition to the three resistance factions that all are voiced by Star Trek, the next generation people. Um, it, the game almost feels, I mean, I, I haven't played a full game of the expansion, but it, it almost feels too big. Like the plot kind of gets lost. There's so much stuff. Like it, it that's the one thing that really isn't solved like like that and the game is still really fucking buggy um uh but like like the XCOM 2 kind of had this problem where there was always just a little bit too many things happening all at once um and if anything it's much worse in this expansion now we're now like there's so many things to do it's easy to get sidetracked and forget like okay what do I need to do now? <laughs> like, what? What is the, the thing that I should be doing next? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, we didn't even talk about the zombies, which introduced a completely new uh, mini gameplay mode where it's kind of stealth, but not and chain yeah. moves together. Yeah, there's um uh, a new. It's not even like an alien unit. It's a different faction of enemies that is basically just zombies, like literally just zombies. Um, uh, and they kind of behave according to all the normal zombie rules. Um, and like basically you'll have missions that take place in, in cities that have just been totally abandoned and there are zombies living there. Cause I guess the, it, it's weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's like implied that the aliens, created the zombies with biological weapons, but then they also occasionally have like squads of people with flamethrowers walking through and killing all the zombies. And it's like, why did you go through the trouble of creating these things in the first place? Um, I I feel like it it was aimed at more like making, making the alien overrule less ambiguously good. Like, in the original XCOM 2, you could argue, uh, maybe we are the terrorists. Maybe we are bad people. We're we're trying to destroy this, like, unified, happy um, uh, world government. Um, I mean, that kind yeah, of goes they out were the doing... window 
pretty fast when you find out that they've been basically doing the Mass Effect 2 thing of melting down humans and liquefying them so they can get all their cool DNA shit because humans are special. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, um One thing I, I think is interesting is actually comparing the problem you were talking about at the very beginning of the um, XCOM discussion with um, with Mario and Rabbids, which is part of the reason that, that you have to play that super cautious approach to, um, to, to XCOM, at least in XCOM one is that you, there's the fog of war aspect where you don't know where enemies are and you have to tread very carefully because as soon as you, they get discovered, they have a free turn. And that's kind of the fundamental problem at the heart of why, the first game was just move really cautiously and you're almost certain to win. And the second game was timers. We're going to force you to just run and en- engage enemies on the fly. Um, yeah. And it's interesting interesting to me that Rabbids doesn't run into this problem because Rabbids doesn't have any sort of fog of war. You and the enemy all know where each other are at all times. And it's all about maneuvering and movement mm-hmm. in a way that XCOM doesn't have almost any movement. Um Mario has things where, like, you can jump on a partner to to get an additional jump to go even further than your normal movement would allow. Um, it also has the traditional Mario tunnels, where if you go into some tunnels, you have a certain amount of leeway coming out the other end of them as to where you'll roll. And there's even stats related to how far you can roll coming out of a tunnel. So, like, it's very much about figuring out how to manipulate movement by basically seeing how you can s- s- get... A- Get move to get an advantage on other targets where XCOM has yet to figure that out in the interests of keeping um, Fog of War alive. And that that's an interesting dichotomy, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine XCOM without some form of Fog of War. Like... Well, I mean, I think the Fog of War probably works better for the tone... Like right. with uh, yeah. Mario Rabbids, the tone is way more playful and very much like, can you believe this happened? I mean, we're not even sure if this is even real. Go for it. Have fun. And so it's really more like, the thing about Rabbids that I really like is that you have to be constantly moving or figuring out the next move that you're going to do, like, bam, 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 bam. Because if you stay in one place too long, like, if you get stuck to a cover the game will realize that and start getting you. So you can't move slowly and methodically and all that kind of thing. It's more about like, oh, looking at the map and seeing where the high points are and where the advantages are and trying to get there and then also kind of outmaneuvering the different enemies like faster than they can outmaneuver you. They have this one level that I really like where you have to get to this safe zone as fast as you can and so you have all of these enemies right in front of the safe zone, but you can also, like, super jump over to this other, like, island. And so you have this, like, you can make a plan of, like, your dudes distracting the big group of guys as long as they can while your other guy, like, sneaks on the other side and gets to the safe zone and wins. So, I don't know. I think, like, the it's more playful, and that's why it doesn't necessarily need the fog of war um, and why it can have more movement speed because the tone of the game. Yeah, that's I true. Agree. And I, I think it even like kind of like fits ludically with Mario, where Mario has always been about 
movement in the end. Exactly. Um, yeah. And like XCOM has kind of always been about like that tactical planning. Um, which doesn't mean that the fog of war stuff is not, and, and the way alien pods work is not a problem with the new games, but like, I don't think the solution for XCOM would be to take out fog of war. I, I wonder if it's a bit more of a development crutch for the procedurally generated worlds. Cause like, yeah, that might have something to do with it. Because um, in, instead of like having aliens just walking around doing their thing uh, and having to worry about whether a AI behavior of walking back and forth in a particular area or whatever is appropriate, now you just sort of like have set pods, and then no matter where you approach that pod from, the aliens will see you and go, "Oh, I see this person. How do I hide from this person effectively?" And the AI gets a free move to go and try and do that. And so it sort of is a way to procedurally generate enemy placement without simulating enemies actually being in the in the environment. Well, actually, that's kind of where um, alien pods have been kind of pushed to the breaking point in this game because there you can see pods before they see you. Because if you remember in XCOM 2, you have the kind of weird concealment system where sometimes you'll start in stealth and... Uh, Oh, that's right. As long as you oh, don't get God. too close to enemy pods, they they don't um they don't see you and they just kind of wander around in like weird patrol paths. Uh But that gets weird in some missions where like sometimes you'll have missions where they're attacking civilian bases and uh there are civilian defenders that are not under your control and they're just like NPCs with guns that shoot at these guys. So you've got this weird sort of situation where there are, uh, there are pods that are attacking civilians and civilians are attacking them, but you haven't seen them yet. So um, you can have like weird situations like one I ran into like just yesterday where um, you have an, an alien pod that like is interacting with and like taking actions against um uh, uh like the the resistance fighters that are not you um and then one of the aliens in the pod moves into the point where um like in the middle of this pod taking actions against these outpost guys moves into um range where your soldier can see it and then they all get a free move and you get the cutscene and it's really weird. It's like, well, you guys were already doing stuff. So that that doesn't work that great. I, I wish they'd do something different with it. I can see some of the reasons why they didn't. Like, it kind of solves the XCOM, the original XCOM problem of, like, you land, walk around a little bit, and then a plasma bolt comes from across the map out of nowhere and kills half your squad. And that's not very fun. Uh, like I said, the game is also still really buggy, still has the, still somehow has the problem where, uh, this is all the way back to vanilla XCOM 2, um, where something will happen. Usually you trigger a pod and you get the cutscene and the, the aliens move. And then the game gets really confused about what's supposed to happen next. And you just kind of sit there staring at nothing for 20 seconds while the game tries to figure out, okay, what should actually happen here now? Uh, that still happens occasionally. It's it's infuriating. Um, some of the bugs are fun, though. Um, 
like probably the I, I kind of want to end on this anecdote or end my bit here on this anecdote of uh, this is my favorite bug that I've run into in XCOM 2 is um, when the alien nemesis guys show up, uh, they'll get their own special like cutscene where they show up and they say something cool and then you get to see their information about them, what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and the warlock dude, his cutscene when he shows up is he spawns in and then he just kind of floats off the ground and, uh, and, and says something cool. Uh, problem dude beams into a one story building. So, the cutscene is camera on the ground looking up at a pair of legs stuck in the ceiling while the legs say, <laughs> the gods elevate me. I was like, yep, they <laughs> sure do, buddy. Wow. Um, lot, lots of fun, like, positioning stuff like that. Uh, you know, that, that kind of wacky stuff has always been in these, these Firaxis XCOM games, and they're still here. Um, we've been going for about an hour and 10 minutes. Do we want to do any mailbag or do we want to just kind of call it there? It's up to you guys. Uh, we actually have two questions about the same topic here. So this might be interesting to talk to touch on real quickly. Um, I'm going to kind of, of combine these two questions and, and maybe paraphrase them a bit. So let's start with, um, Brendan says, Dear Spodcast peoples, recently I've found that despite having a large library of interesting games to play, none of them seem to be able to hold my attention for very long. I stare at my game libraries for ages, play something for half an hour or so, then put it down in search of something else. Do any of you experience this, and if so, what snaps you out of it? Sincerely yours, Brendan. And then, related, Philip says, Dear Spoiler Warning Radio, I've been thinking about the volume of PC games releases nowadays and trying to understand why pre-orders are still a thing. During my 10-ish years on Steam, I'm at the point where even the major summer and winter sales are difficult purchases to justify thanks to previous Steam and Humble Bundle offerings. I'm currently trying to play through all of my titles in order of date added to the library, which is something of an undertaking. With this in mind, why do people pre-order when there's a good chance they haven't even consumed their previous purchases? I think about this a lot because I have a massive Steam library and a lot of those games I have never played. Uh, it's a sort of weird thing where like the summer sale rolls around and you pick up like 20 games and then you end up playing like three or four of them and the rest of them you kind of forget about. And you look in your Steam library is, and you're like, yeah. oh, I got this game. I didn't even realize that. So the Xbox 360 um, store, digital store, is shutting down soon, apparently. And so, um, or at least their indie store, whatever. So this morning when I woke up and Nick was like, uh, I bought 20 games because they'll never exist after the store's gone. They're just, they're gone forever and I, I need them on my console. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. Like, a lot of us, when we see something on sta on sale on Steam, we just get it. Because maybe one day we'll want to play it. But, like, if Steam was going to die tomorrow and I had the chance to buy, like, a game, <laughs> like, that's a weird thing to think about. Because it's like, 
what game have you never played that this, uh, that Steam or some kind of digital store has, and once it's gone, then you may never get access to that game again. And I think that's interesting, and probably why we have such big libraries of stuff we never play, because we're like, well, maybe one day. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I, I, for some reason, I keep thinking of that Garrett quote from Thief 2 where he breaks into a guy's manor and he passes by the guy's library room and he's like, I wonder if he reads them or if it's just for show. And I could just picture someone saying the same thing about my games library on Steam. Um, <laughs> I, I think, so I guess in regards to the first question, the way I get out of, I, I also get into game funks occasionally and I feel like, um, it's one of two varieties of game funks. There's the one where I have simply been playing too many games and I am burnt out on video games and I need to just take a break from video games. Um, this is basically the go out. The answer to this is basically go do something. Um, and I don't mean like that day. I mean like for a couple days, um, read a book, go see some movies, uh, go, go on a trip, go away from your computer for a while. Um, that, usually makes me more interested in playing games when I finally am able to get back to them. Um, the other thing that burns me out on games is when too many good games get released at once. Uh, usually happens around November and I just get overwhelmed with like staring at the potential choices of what to play. Yeah. Uh, cause it's like, Oh, I could play this, but then everyone's talking about that game, but I don't like it as much as the first yeah. one. But, but the new game that's about to just come out, comes out tonight at midnight and should I be all hype, all hype for that? And yeah. I don't know. And, <laughs> uh, that 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 sucks, and I don't have a good answer for that. Usually, what ends up happening there is the one that I like playing the most wins out, and the other ones just fall to the backlog of ever growing doom. Um, which brings us to the backlog, and part of the reason I think people have such ridiculous backlogs is that games are really long and require ridiculous time investments. Um, they're disposable media, but they're also media designed to be consumed over dozens upon dozens of hours, which makes them unique and kind of weird. Um, you know, most disposable media is only a few hours long. You don't have a ton of disposable media that is, and when I say disposable, I mean, not that, you know, games are trash, but m more just that like you consume them and then, uh, um, you consume them basically and then move on. You, mo most people don't play games the way people play chess. They don't, some people do, but most people, like, yeah, there's a core like, contingent of people still playing Quake 1, but it's not, most people's experience with Quake 1 is not a lifetime commitment to Quake 1. I, I would say there are types of games that are closer to chess and types of games that are not. Like, League of Legends or, or Overwatch are more chess-esque, where you you might stop playing chess for a while. Yeah. and But you'll come back If you're a speedrunner, or, like, Nick really loves Mario games and I've seen him sit down and beat a Mar like an entire Mario game in like 20 minutes because he knows everything about that game. And so there are certain games where you do that. I mean, I'm the same way with Bioware games, uh, ex except for Dragon Age 2 is starting to surprise me in certain ways. But for the most part, like I know everything that's going to happen and I'm playing it a certain way because I love the stupid game. And I think there are that is a factor as well. I think I'd add that there's nothing wrong with like not finishing a game, especially like 
considering how often we yeah will not finish a book or a movie even and considering the time commitment to some of these games like i totally get not completing one just because you feel like you got enough of the experience and there's other games to play yeah but what something i'd also add is that i think it's really i'm really interested to see how um variety streamers do things because they're kind of always buying the latest stuff and getting the or even like getting keys for the newest stuff so they're accumulating a lot of different games and they don't usually finish like when it comes to single player games the stories often so it's we're starting to see just like the beginnings of games or everyone wants to see the new thing and experience the new thing and then there's going to be another new thing soon so like you won't have time to finish the old ones you just have to keep current yeah and i think the other thing is that um makes you feel video game restlessness i guess is the best way to put it um is when you like a specific genre and you've played all the games in that specific genre i think that makes people crazy at least for me personally like the other i was like going through a fallout funk recently and i've played all of the like not not the old ones but i played like three and on and i've played them all a lot and so if i'm if i'm craving a fallout ish game if i go back to fallout there's nothing there for me necessarily because i've already played it a thousand times and it doesn't give me this new kind of feeling. And I think there's a lot of similarities to that as well as for, like, Bioware games. Like, they're only... Dragon Age and Mass Effect are so specific in what those kinds of games are that you're not going to find other AAA games that do the same things that Bioware games do. So if you are craving a new experience that is plays like a Bioware game, you're shit out of luck you're screwed because you're not going to find that. And I think that contributes to that feeling of like, I can't find the game I need to play. Yeah. Like this is why everyone wants Bethesda to do the Elder Scrolls six, because it's been seven, exactly. no, six years since Skyrim came out. And there's just nothing else like that at all. Exactly. And yeah, like I have that thing where where sometimes I get a, a bunch of games in the Steam sale and I, I check them out for a little bit and then uh, you know, um, and I I think they sound cool and I'm like, oh, I can drop like three or four bucks on this and I try them out and uh, turns out you know it's not that interesting and it bounces off me and I'm like, um, I'm this is not for me, um, and and I have a number of games in my library that are like that. I guess I could go and refund them, um, or I could have gone and refunded them. I think there's a time limit uh, after purchasing, regardless of how many hours you put into them. But um, I guess I'm also kind of in the position where like I like to support indie devs as much as possible, um, so I don't really refund games unless I feel like I've made a horrible, horrible mistake. Um, <laughs> I, I've done it yeah, twice, I think. Um, oh, I've done it like six times. Never mind. One, one of them was um, one of them was Flame in the Flood, where I was I was really pissed off at that game, uh, and then the other one was um, some pirate game that 
Randy and company briefly uh, convinced me to play, and then like, <laughs> that sounds... yep. And then like that I played like an hour thing. of it, and I was like, "Holy crap! I do not want to put any time into this <laughs> game at all." No, 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 no. And if it had been a twenty dollars game, I probably wouldn't have refunded it because like whatever. But it was, I like, wish bucks. they had that. I wish they had the refund when I hung out with Randy more because yeah, right? he made me play and, some shit. And they were all games. not playing it anymore after a month. And it was like, well, okay. <laughs> exactly. Dodged a bullet there. Yeah, so I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with having a, a large game library of games that you, you never play. I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I think the 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 physical book library uh, adage is, is pretty um, pretty good. You know, like, uh, I've got books, uh, I, I don't want to say I have a library, because I don't, but I've got books on my bookshelf that um, I've never read, that, you know, maybe I'll read sometime, but maybe not. Um, but they're nice to have there in the event that I ever want to, and they look kind of nice on the shelf. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, like, financially, I guess, may, like, there are better things you could do with that money, sure, but um Well, we're also in a weird position I, because we are engaged in the discourse and whatever, right? Like Yeah, there is an element. That's of also that. something to keep in mind. Yeah, but did like, I really have to put down ninety bucks for a virtual boy? Fucking probably not. Probably <laughs> fucking not, actually. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like I don't believe that living optimally with money at, at all times is always the best thing that you should be doing. Like the, the the only thing in your mind should be like, how frugal can I be constantly? Yeah. Um. You know, it's okay to splurge a bit. Did I have to buy out. two sets of the Donkey Kong Congas? Probably not. Probably not. The, the, <laughs> not the thing that I need to spend my money on, but I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess... Also, it's just it's just how people end up using games in their lives. Like, that's sort of the other unspoken thing in this conversation is, like, the way people actually play games, if they're not playing it as sort of a 16 to, or 8 to 16 hour movie or 30 or 50 hours, God, some of those games are really long, um, tends to be some sort of, like, social thing, like Destiny or, or Overwatch or PUBG tend to be social events. Um, and mm-hmm. so you really only have like one game that dominates that space. Um, and I know just, you know, anecdotally, uh, a lot of the people I know that, that quote unquote play video games, but also aren't like, you know, active in talking about games online and dealing, dealing with this sort of stuff, um, are the sort of people that like, they know what Fallout are. They know what Destiny is. They get three or four big AAA games a year. They play them into the into the ground and more or less entirely complete them and then take them back to GameStop for, you know, credit towards their next purchase. It's it's not a it's it's a very specific kind of consumption that ends up having a huge steam backlog, I guess. Um yeah. and it's it's different than what I think your average person playing most AAA games experiences. Sure, I'd agree with that. I I don't think it's uncommon amongst enthusiasts. It is kind of an enthusiast kind of mindset. Um, But, you know, that's what our audience, I assume, is. But but I guess that's my point, is it's like, when when we we talk about everybody's got a huge backlog, when we say everybody, what we really mean are people who buy lots of games have a very large backlog. 
So, yes, they will have a <laughs> If you want to get tautological about it, yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but I just, I, I just want to make it clear that I, I don't think this is a problem that everyone who plays games has. I think it's, I think it is the sort of like yeah. enthusiast who sees an indie game that thinks it has a cool mechanic and they're like, I'll buy that. I'll probably get around to playing it. And then they never do. And that's how you end up with a backlog versus the people that, you know, I'm going to buy Fallout, play it until Madden comes out, return Fallout for some credit and then get Madden. Like, well, I think yeah. that's a different. Yeah, I know. Like, I have a coworker who likes video games, and then the other day she's like, Hey, Kelly, have you heard about this game called Life is Strange? And I was like, <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> Fucking duh! And she's like, Well, I don't know anyone who knows about this game. I'm like, Okay. But okay. And I like felt like an asshole because I knew what Life is Strange is. Well, this is why I don't talk about video games at work. Like, it really is uncomfortable when, like, you're 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 interacting with somebody who who is really excited about this thing they know, but they they it's like the Dunning Kruger effect where they don't know how much they don't know, and it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. So like at work when people are like, "Hey, you play video games?" I'm just like, "I don't know, kind of sometimes." It's like um, when I wear a wrestling T-shirt, people are like, "Oh, do you like The Rock?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> fucking like The Rock." Uh, yep. <laughs> I guess it's like how sports people like. Uh, maybe think about me when they're like oh like so you fall in baseball or whatever i'm like nope i know nothing about it i don't know any sports and and then they're just kind of like oh and then they usually just leave or it'd be like if you're like oh my gosh the pitcher for i don't know the diamondbacks is that a baseball team anyway uh, the pitcher for the Diamondbacks is so hot. He's so hot and he's so good at baseball. Did you know he's great at baseball? And they're like, yeah, I know he's fucking great at baseball. I'm a baseball fan. I can tell you like every stat about him. I've seen all of his games. I know how many things the Diamondbacks won. And you're just like, cool, yeah, <laughs> neato. And so it's like, it's like if you have so much information, but it's useless to the person you're talking to because they don't really care about all of the shit you know. They just care about talking to you about The Rock. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, sure, I like The Fucking Rock, but let's talk about uh, when he was the blue chipper and no one fucking liked him and they used to chant, kill Rocky. Let's talk about that. And it's like, they don't want to talk about that. They don't care. (laughs) My wife runs into this problem with uh, theme parks coming up where, like, people have, like, vague things they heard on the internet about theme parks and they try to talk with her about it because they know she likes going to theme parks so it becomes this awkward thing of like yeah. i sure can't wait to go to disneyland when nintendo world opens and she's just like smiling and nodding <laughs> knowing that that's totally not what's going to happen but okay oh my god it's hard to find people in the real world to talk shop with like that's what i, I whenever i say like i'm going to talk shop it usually means video games or wrestling or that's it and it's so hard to find people like who can talk on the same level as you about something and it's it's always just finding people who have like a casual idea of what you're talking about and that's why all my friends are online so (laughs) well the internet certainly makes it easier to find those people I went to a wedding yes. last night where I was sitting with a table and there was one girl who said she thought Seth MacFarlane was the funniest man on the entire earth. And then I knew oh, immediately I was God. like, oh, right. There are other people who like the things that I hate, but also just like Dude. they don't give a shit about media in general. And that's just most people. Dude. 
Dude, I remember once I was at a wedding and this lady was like, my favorite kind of music is hair metal from the 80s. And I literally had to walk away from the conversation. I had to leave. Oh, my God. I had to leave the room because I did not want to get into a debate about how shitty poison is. Like, it just did not want to happen. (laughs) I was going to throw out a name of of, um, an, an obscure hair metal band but now i can't remember if it was white snake or yellow snake or are there it was are they both oh why do i know it's white snake wait was it yellow snake too is that also a thing? I, I don't know i think you're I thinking of yellow like card that's definitely yellow not a hair card. metal band yellow card is not a hair metal band it's a shitty violin post-punk band yeah cool yellow snake <laughs> is not a band it should yeah, be okay, that's I a fucking white great snake. name that's that's the f- that's from my yellow the... card white snake cover band. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Oh no. It's they they cover white snake songs in yellow card style. Oh, and, and I'm gonna make yeah. a band called White Snake, which is not actually the band White Snake, but it's it's the White Stripes covers of Yellow Snake's covers of Yellow Card's <laughs> version of of White Snake songs. <laughs> That's such a camster joke. Oh my god. <laughs> I haven't heard a camster joke in so long. <laughs> I'm bad and I should feel bad. Yup. And that is the Spodcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, as always, if you'd like to ask us other questions that lead to us talking about uh, 80s hair metal bands... Um, you can do so by sending an email to spoilerwarningshow at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, I've been Josh, and I still have a cold. This this Rugrats Wikipedia has like eight paragraph summaries of stories that really don't need eight paragraphs to tell the story of a Rugrats episode. How did what you, you doing on there, buddy? What, what, what in this there? podcast brought you to the Rugrats Wikipedia? I... I was going down a rabbit hole of voice actors and I ended up somehow in EG daily. And that ended up with like, Oh, that's what, because you were talking about all the voice actors in XCOM. So I was looking up other voice actors <laughs> and then I ended up at EG daily who was, who does the voice for Tommy and Rugrats. And then I remembered the Nike is free episode where Tommy wants to start a nudist colony oh, of babies. Yeah. And then I couldn't oh, remember how that ended without having like an actual Nike baby colony. So I had to look up the plot. <laughs> and so I ended up on the Wikipedia entry. For, but not Wikipedia itself doesn't have Rugrats story summaries. So I had to go to the Rugrats wiki. And this thing has like a seven paragraph summary of the Nike is free episode of Rugrats. That was a pretty good oh, that's recollection a real of a, a very... Thing. Very strange stream of consciousness you just had there. This is this is like the length of an errant signal script. This is crazy. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Oh, are we still doing this? Bye.